Okay, Wayne, we're all a bit croaky here because we've got winter bugs, but we've got reason to celebrate. Not Manchester United's performance on the pitch, but as we record, it's just been announced that Ineos are buying 25% of the club and taking over football operations. Merry Christmas! Yep. Oh, we didn't see this one coming, did we? No, no, we've only had the 400 days of it being trailed, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, there are some people who are not doom-mongers, but some people hesitant to... uh, To be fair, we don't don't know how it's all going to unfold, but I I fail to see a negative side to it. You know, there's investment coming into the club. We know that for sure. There's money coming in. And from... I mean, we're only reading between the lines from what's in the statements, but it seems like everything that's been put in is quite different to sort of capital injection for transfers and everything like that, because it feels like it's a different wheelhouse. Uh, so we we don't know. There's never a guarantee of success or anything like that, but it feels like a massive positive no. step for sure. God, yeah. I mean, if Joel Glazer is not running around Europe with his dick in his hand, pretending to be director of football, that is a great thing. I mean, it can't get worse, can it? I mean, I'm sure you read Laurie Willard's piece in The Athletic earlier this weekend, which detailed a lot of the uh, shenanigans going on behind the scenes yeah. of the club. There's, as I've been told, even worse stuff than those in Laurie's piece. He's probably bound by libel laws to not name and shame certain people for their behaviours in this club. But it, it's been absolute chaos. The worst way to run any kind of company infighting, poor decision-making, lack of structure, and, and most of all, the Glazers with their hand in the tiller and, and control of how the football club's been running. So that has changed. Just to go to the details of the statement, who we're almost reading it live, 25% of the club will be bought by Ineos. It's, it's, it's even split between A and B shares, so they've obviously come to some kind of deal with some of the private equity firms that owned... 31% of United, as well as the Glazers, and that there'll be delegated responsibility for football operations. That's not really detailed in the statement on the uh, IR website here, like exactly what we mean by that. And I've said in the past, you know, I'm a, I'm a little bit skeptical of exactly how that will work, because I think in the end, responsibility for any kind of business will lie in the hands of the board. The board is still majority Glazers. So Ineos will put two people on the PLC board and two people on the football club board. And as we've heard in the press, but not detailed in this statement here, there'll be some kind of football committee that is clearly reporting to the football club board, which will be two to one uh, Ineos versus Glazers, right? So that's, that's where the voting comes down. But at any point, I presume, unless it's legally unless it's written down in the contract exactly how it works in the articles of association of the of the company at any point the forward the board of the prc could overrule that's how all business works but so that's my level of skepticism i think the optimist in me says like this is a new dawn we are now going to it's not going to be overnight instant change but we're going to have a different way of running the club and hopefully avoiding some of the Massive amount of pitfalls we've had over the last 15 years in terms of decision-making at this club. But yeah. that's, that is all to play out, isn't it? 
Yeah, I, I will also say I'm, I'm not I'm not a doom monger. I, I like to think I'm quite positive on this podcast, uh, but I will <laughs> I do have to say this. You said it can't get worse. All I'm saying is there is a, a rainbow possibility. <laughs> and I don't mean that like it'd be negative, like any, anything's possible. So it could be worse. We don't really know. Like we, we don't know what's happening. It, the, the, the general held hope is that it's going to be much, much better and, and things will be better moving forward. But it's like I've been saying all along from, from August, at least with the injury crisis, obviously so much of what happens at a football club. The mood, you probably say 90% of the mood is governed by what happens on the pitch and dictated by what happens on the pitch. And there's, judging by recent results, the Liverpool result notwithstanding, it does feel like bad times. So that's the only reason why I'm saying it can't be worse is that sure. someone will, someone will always say in six weeks, oh, we did, or six months time when, if things are worse, oh, we, we struggled to see how this could happen. There's just possibilities out there. There could be conflicts, yeah, yeah. but hopefully, hopefully, you know, we we all old hope that the the money coming in, the injection coming in, the the liberation that it'll um, give United in certain aspects, uh, the freedom uh, to to operate a little bit more freely is something that can only be of benefit for the club. So, yeah. Yeah, like, like you know, I am, I am very optimistic. I'm just, just like, like everyone always says it can't get worse. So I just feel like the last ten years of like results is like, oh, is this a new low? Is this a new low? That kind of thing. Yeah, we've 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 visited that well one too many times, haven't we? And hopefully, this is a change. Well, in we have, it, yeah, and we we only have a certain amount of evidence to, on which to judge. Whether Ineos as a group of companies, this kind of federated group of companies, it, I did a I did a podcast in the summer with a, with a with a, a, a set of lawyers, environmental lawyers who are suing Ineos. That so will give you some kind of detail on the the kind of company it is. So it's this federation of about thirty companies, of which now Trawlers Limited, I presume, a nod to Eric Cantona, yeah. will be. Now, 20, 25% owners of Manchester United. So we have a little bit of evidence. They own Lausanne, who, let's let's be honest, have not had a great record under the Glazers. They are not a traditionally successful club. I mean, they have won the Swiss title, but they've also been relegated a few times. They were relega- relegated under the Glazers, and Sir Jim's brother, Bob, has been running that club. So not great evidence there. And in five years of owning Nice... It's been sort of underperformance. They are doing well in League One right now, yeah. you know. So there's there's been reporting that they've changed some of the structure behind the scenes. They've made some mistakes and they've learned from those mistakes. So you know, again, being selfish as United fans, that now that says okay, they've got a bit of bit of experience of running the cycling team, part of the F1 team, and two football clubs, and so now they've learned from their mistakes. We hope. Yeah, and they are bringing in some people. Right? Jean Claude Blanc, very well respected and known football executive, been at Juventus and Paris Saint Germain. You'd imagine some kind of credibility coming into some of the decision making there. He's going to be on the football club board, and Dave Brailsford, less credibility when it comes to football, but obviously a well known sporting executive also on the football club board that'll give us a bit of there i imagine given who was on that board before and then 
we'll wait and see whether the actual structure of the operations changes. No announcement today on Murta, O'Boyle, Brown, the leading people in the in the football operations. But I imagine there's going to be changes there, and and we'll see where that goes. So some reason to be optimistic. We don't have a full set of information here. Yeah. We do know, what we do know is in the statement, other than the purchase of the shares, there's a £300 million investment. Or it says dollars, actually, doesn't it? Not pounds. Yeah. £250 million. It's uh, 200 pledged straight away, and then 100 before the end of the next calendar year. So, Right. For infrastructure. So, And I presume that is some kind of convertible note. So, effectively, debt from the club to the to the new owners but i wouldn't worry about that it just it will convert to equity at some point i presume it doesn't actually say in the statement no one gives away money for free so uh and and that that as you mentioned that that probably won't help with united's ffp situation you know in terms of profits and and sustainability in the in uh, the premier league there are 105 million pounds of losses that are acceptable over a three-year reporting period that's not what it says in the statement, so I wouldn't expect that to be suddenly spent on transfers this winter. And there's really no scope for movement in the UEFA rakes now. There's squad cost rule anyway, so owner equity investment doesn't make much difference. It's a, a, it's a smaller number, I think it's 15 million that you can lose, mm-hmm. something like that, over your squad cost allocation. So this will be long term. Hopefully we get some better decisions made, but it will yeah. just be decisions, not piles of money that is going to solve United's problems. Uh, also, just to, because the long-term aspects, there'll be a lot of people thinking, all right, okay, long-term, we're, we're, it's going to be like a tanker moving around. Should be reminding people, not you, I mean, we, uh, the, the people who are able to access the information should be reminded of the fact that he's 71. This is very much, and I'm, I'm quoting paraphrasing what I was told by Paddy Barkley, who did a, a number of sit-down interviews with him for a, a, the book that came out on Ineos last year. Yeah. They were talking about his bid to, to buy United back in 2021, 2022, when it was first announced. Yeah. yeah. So when, when that first was announced and, and Paddy talked to him about it, he was very much aware that he, of wanting to effect change in his lifetime to see the rewards of the investments that he's made. So while we are talking about a long-term strategy for United, it's still fairly short-term in terms of in terms of a long-term plan because we're talking within three or four years he wants to see United challenging for the top prizes in the game. So he wants to see them at the level that City are at. He wants to see them at the same level as Real Madrid. Now, obviously, these things are all processes in football anyway. But, um, yeah, it's that sort of balance, isn't it, between long-term and medium-term and what do these things actually mean when we don't we, we don't have any more information based on the information that's been given us, to us today. But I, I think it's probably yeah. safe to say that three to four years is something that we, we should be looking at as be wanting to see us at the top of that tree again. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's nothing they can really do other than make better decisions in terms of <laughs> like acquisitions. Yeah, they. I would be very surprised if they make any kind of decision on the manager right now. But at the end of the season, when this is all played out, I would not 
being the slightest bit surprised, even if United turn things around and do better in the second half of the season to see Eric replace. And that's just because new people, new ideas. And that's that's not to say this guy's failing. It's just that's just normal in football. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. Not saying it definitely will. And I don't think we've heard that that's a priority in any of the reporting. So we'll see on that one. It's not going to be suddenly piles of money going to solve our problems. Mm. You know, in fact, it, it, it just is tight because of the poor decisions that we've made as a club in terms of our acquisitions and our sales. And that's, that's sadly, that is it. Anthony is a millstone until we sell him and we can get on to him and other players and their relative performances. Yeah, that that will all be under our, our FFP. In fact, there's a good there's a there's a report that came out earlier that said United may be a bit more draconian in how they think about contracts, and they were even willing to let Jaden Sancho go for free. And the reason why they might do stuff like that, which sounds fucking nuts, doesn't it? Is so you can get it out of your FFP calculation. You just take a one-time impairment charge, and then it doesn't affect your actual ability to spend. And this is the kind of time when that kind of thing makes sense, when there's yeah. an ownership change and equity investment coming into the club. I'm not saying that would definitely happen, but we could see some more surprising moves, I think, as a result of this. So we'll see on that one. But no miracles here. It's, it is going to take time, and we've just got to hope that people make some better decisions than have been done in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean little to add to that really i think is all about those right decision making uh, things i I mean the certain players it doesn't really matter because like all all of those decisions will be taken by either higher management or or the the low i say on the ground football management like ten organist team or or the i like you said, the, the the people above might have different opinions, but yeah, the, the things like Ten Hag. I mean, I guess we'll move on to talk about actual on the pitch sort of stuff. I would be surprised now, but I was thinking for because it's been a bumpy December to say the very least, and we're still not out of out of the mire with it. With it, but I feel like yeah. I feel like if there would have been pressure for him to go it'd be around now and we're not really feeling that. And it's strange, really, at United, and I'm not I'm not willing it, I'm certainly not willing it, it just feels strange at United that for once there's not this hyperbolic express train that's, that's driving the change of manager because, you know, what happens at United is what happens at United, but then you've always got the parallel, the media, they're, they're always driving their own yeah. thing. And, they, they, and to an extent that has happened throughout the season where you have seen these sort of like driving forces of saying, oh, Ten Hag's position is at risk, blah, 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 blah. And then we've seen the results progressively get worse and the performances get worse over December. And I've talked on this, we talked on it a few weeks ago, like saying, like looking at the, the run of results and thinking, all right, forecasting a heavy defeat at Liverpool and how likely that could be to, to end his tenure. And it turns out that we've had the heavy defeats in every result, but that one. Yeah. And how classic. But yeah, he's. A, I mean, that's typical United at the moment, the way that we do things, and and yet it doesn't feel like that. You know what I mean? I, there was a point where we're three 0 down to Bournemouth at home, and the fourth went in just before it was disallowed, and I was thinking, that's it, because you don't survive a four 0 home defeat. And really, I I stand by that. I think that is surprising that he, that he did the, the a whistle 
that an offside decision a decision has, has saved him his job on that. But then then you look at the other results that have happened since, and you're thinking. On results, it's difficult to make a case for it. But even though we yeah. have the, and we have had many times a bigger picture conversation about the injuries and everything like that, which I still believe in. But, but I still also believe in the the general fact in football that results catch up to you, and and you can't do anything about yeah, them. Well, and, we've we've spoken yeah. a lot about accountability at this club and the lack of yeah. it, and why that's such a problem. And that's one thing that we can hope that the new partial ownership will bring is more accountability and that does lie with Eric too and that's 13 defeats before Christmas that hasn't happened for 30 something years we haven't had a start as bad as this in the first half of the season since 1930 or something like that yeah he's got 18 goals in 18 Premier League matches obviously a few more in Europe but you know we came bottom of that group so like it like on any measure when it comes to accountability of the manager it's been a disaster. And I think any elite club around Europe would probably have fired their manager for this kind of thing. The The reason why Eric's still there is partially because he's 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 been saved by the ongoing purchase process and the yeah. desire, I presume, of the Glazer kids to offload this decision to, to the new football club board and the leadership there. Partially by the fact that United really can't afford to fire him. There's a £15 million cost there to fire him and his team. And then there isn't really loads of money in the kitty to invest for a new manager coming in. Mm. And who would it be? The perennial question of every two to three years at United uh, that we seem to have to ask these days. And and so what are we talking about? Another interim manager. So all the uh, despite the 13th defeats... And despite the logic that says, well, there should be accountability and normally it's the buck stops with the manager for performances on the pitch, there's a lot of things that are kind of pushing that decision to be made in the summer. So that gives Eric another five, six months in order to turn this around. And he's still got a chance, as appalling as it was at the weekend. And it really was truly appalling Yeah, against West Ham. He's still got quite a lot of players to come back. Casemiro, Mount, Lindelof, Maguire, Martinez. They're, they're all going to be important players in terms of like getting to the structure that he wants. I don't think, again, they're going to miracle fix all of this, but we'll certainly yeah, hopefully get to performances that look more like they did last season, yeah. the first half of last season. And so we've got a few months to see whether he's still the right man or not. Yeah. But anyway, should we talk about to talk about West Ham. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see we're moving there anyway, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not not too literally to West Ham, but uh, unless you've got now are you are you moving to East London? I'm no. not. No. no I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Yeah, where to begin? There are some positives. Manu played well. He was very composed. He did, he was better from that front group of players. Camboala. Aside from his horrendous mistake for oh, the second goal, but you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what? Yeah, let's talk about that straight. Let's get it out of the way, right? This is one of the. This is my, my most disappointing conclusion from yesterday's game is that something like that can happen to a teenager. For, he was like left out to dry, really, because that's his one mistake. You're going to get a mistake like that from a kid. You are this way too much responsibility that's been given to him. Non 
of the outfield players have been stood beside him, and Bruno should have been doing this, be closer to him in elements of taking responsibility for in moments like that, because especially where he was at that moment, he's trying to, you know what I mean? It's just, it's a catastrophic error, but he was the one taking the responsibility to try and drive the side on when other players should have been doing that. The, the thing that really disappoints me about that is that he, he gets, obviously he's going to get all the criticism and he has been getting all the criticism, you know, oh, he's not as good as what people hope they will be. But really, his is the one mistake when this previous hour and 15 minutes or so. Yeah, exactly. There, there should have yeah. been so much more from the team and we should have, maybe we shouldn't have been like three or four goals up, but there should have been something much better than what we, we saw. And because he makes a one mistake, it looks like he's cost us the result. And we all know, reasonable people who watch that game know that he's one of the bright sparks that come out of it. Yes, his confidence is going to be hit. I really hope that he, he plays it plays him starts him on Boxing Day to show that vote of confidence and allow him to I hope so. yep. get that out of, yep. of his system because he's the one we talk about accountability. He's the, he was still showing for the ball afterwards and he was still wanting to, to prove himself yep. and um I don't think you've seen a lot of that with this United team. I think he's proven by the result and proven by the performance. It's just you had a moment there, even I always seem like it's the, the Chinese term, isn't it? In crisis is opportunity. Even in that moment, you had a moment for the place to show togetherness and to get around him. It didn't really show that. It was just kind of like, no, it just, wasn't just like Willie Grambala. Yeah, it wasn't, yeah. It, it wasn't Liverpool levels of carriers, like hanging him out to dry or anything. I don't think it was anything quite as bad as that, but you know what I mean? He, he could have shown something, got a little bit of togetherness, gone, got around him and rallied around him and said, look, like, no, we're, we're all, it's all the rest of us who've caused this. It's not you. You've made one error, um, which unfortunately has been hugely capitalised by by them. And it's just unfortunate. Yeah. I, I really, that's one of the worst parts of football for me is that promising players can get harangued on the back of one mistake, and it can be costly, you know. And it was, and it was. I'm not defending the mistake. It was a poor mistake and everything like that. I'm just putting it into context that a, a player. A player will make a mistake in every single game, and it just so happens that that one he, he was punished heavily for it. And um, yeah, I, I we can forgive him. It was just a, like a tiny momentary lapse in concentration. He's so comfortable in his skill set and his technique. Yeah, that I think half the time he doesn't have to think about what he's doing. He's he's, he's of all the players in this United team, and I don't want to overhype where he's going to get to in terms of his career, but he has the most composure. Yeah. Of all the players in this United squad. And this is why I just forgive him that moment because it was just so out of character for it. It's not like you see, we've all seen him plenty of times in the, the under 23s and the academy sides. Yeah. This, this is a man who is always good under pressure and he wasn't under pressure at that moment. Yeah. He, he was capitalized on by Kudus expertly, who, by the way, twice the player of Anthony at half the cost. I know Dan was very disappointed we didn't get in for him, given his Ghanaian heritage. Yeah, very disappointing moment for Mainu, but we forgive that one. The United didn't lose that game because of that moment and that error. United lost that game because they absolutely were unable to create anything of note and finish off the, the moments that we did. Not a single shot on target in that second half. 
Yeah, it was. Oh you know, my god, it was. It was a uh, really, really poor uh, performance. Again, I mean, so desperately poor. So, uh, and not not just that. It's, it's and it is again. It's a recurring theme. West Ham were not good. That wasn't no. a good West Ham performance. They didn't have to galvanise themselves. What happened was they had one moment of was it Paqueta with the with the Cantona style pass, which I mean, look, that was. A, it was extravagant. It was magnificent, and be even that. I mean, they get so fortunate with the shot, the rebound, and everything yeah. like that. But, but I mean, they're all right. They get the goal through a moment. And, and by the way, we should probably we should probably just have a little moment to think about why Bruno didn't track his man. <laughs> the third man run just left him. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty. It shouldn't. It should not be Bruno's job to track a third man runner from thirty yards out from goal. That is definitely not his job. He was doing that because the structure in midfield is wrong. There's no double pivot there. He shouldn't have to do that. But given that he was there, that's as bad an error as main, main news, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, you've In got terms to, of, yeah. like, he didn't track his runner at all. So. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, even then, I mean, the re- for all that time before the game, like, you know, before the goal, before the first goal, United were fairly comfortable they were they were comfortable in possession they had that more than two-thirds or at least at one point more than two-thirds of the ball doing nothing with it doing nothing with it their crowd were completely flat there was a bad reaction to their defeat to West Ham and the West Ham fans have got a really love-hate relationship with Moyes where sometimes it feels like everything's together and then the other times there's this really difficult impasse um, where yeah. it feels like they, neither of them can see going any further. And, and that's where they are right now as a result of what happened in the midweek. So there's no, there's no special bond there. What I mean is generally sometimes you go down to West Ham and there's a real connection, but there's togetherness that you can feel. You can be defeated by that as we have been in the past. Well, that wasn't there. United sort of laid down and had the tummy tickled after like, and it was so bizarre to see that happen after like, cause it, it it was the goal that galvanised the crowd. The crowd got up for it. They sensed that they were going to win the game. They knew that really United weren't going to offer anything because they hadn't so far. And um, they made United made changes. Tenorg and yeah, I mean, this is where you start to have some concerns. I know you've probably held them a little bit longer than what I have because sooner or later, the con- conversation that I've trying to be trying to be fair about earlier in the season with the injuries is every team. In every season, he's going to suffer some form of injury crisis, even if that's three or four players. Now, Manchester United, if two or three players are missing, there's a complete change in the way that they, they play. And all right, at the start of a tenure, you can understand that when the change is so pronounced. But when you can't come up with a plan B, where there isn't a plan B, and you're just sort of coasting to get through there, and you, yeah. there's a lack of solution. And that that is, unfortunately, that we, we are seeing that a lot with Ten Hag, is that we don't have... There's no cohesive um, plan B. So even it doesn't bode well for the future because we're always going to have injuries, like in two or three years' time, even when he gets a, let's say that he, he let's say he's still here and he manages a full turnover of squad and that maybe his B squad is more inclined to play like the A squad would play. He still doesn't look like he he can make inspiring decisions in terms of fixing it up and mixing it up. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. If, if plan A isn't working, you do need a plan B and well, plan A or yeah. plan B are working. So No, no, no. Or C or D or like, how yeah. far do we go down the alphabet? Because yeah. there are so many injuries. I think your point about 
he seems unable or unwilling to get this team to play in the way that he wants to when he's got this many injuries is the, is the key one, isn't it? Because the, the important compromise he's made is, well, it's partly in terms of how United build up, but it's mostly in terms of the structure of midfield. He's decided he wants Scott McTominay in there, and he wants McTominay in there for his ability to score goals, and he has yeah. he's our top goal scorer, but he doesn't offer anything else. And in fact, because he goes wandering into four, more forward positions, you saw especially in that second half, Bruno coming back into deeper positions all the time. That's why he was there, not tracking the third man run. Yeah, And so that can't, you compromise your most creative player to have McTominay in there because he gets in Bruno's zone. And you also compromise the ability to have a double pivot there protecting your back four in transitional moments, but also the double pivot there in terms of how you build up. Yeah. Right? Because you've literally got an extra man. And... And I think that was the key thing that changed from United's game against Liverpool. Now they played quite a defensive double pivot there. Manu Amrabat, they just sat there. And they did offer a lot of protection. Liverpool did still have 34 shots, but we won't go too much into that. And that changed for the West Ham game. Completely inexplicably, I think. And both of those, you can put down to that. One, Manu loses his concentration, but he's the only player there. Yeah. You know, two, no one to cover the run. And West Ham got fortunate with the finish, but like it stems from the structure. And it's one of the biggest concerns that Ten Hag hasn't seen this. There was a, there were periods last season, especially in the sort of late autumn, early winter sort of thing, before the uh, Carlin Cup win, Carabao Cup win, when he seemed to, it seemed to be like he had this touch of everything magically coming right. The, the tactical changes he made for one-off games, the changes he made in-match, it just seemed to all come right, and it does not anymore. Yeah. And he's persisting with stuff that doesn't seem to make sense to a lot of, albeit total amateurs like me, but I'm like, I don't understand what he thinks the benefit is of having McTominay in here. Dan yeah. called it the McTominay paradox, where the player you need in order to win games is the player that makes you much worse as a team. I felt that was true against about uh, Zlatan at yeah. one point as yeah. well, that he was making the team worse despite scoring goals. And in fact, to a certain extent, Ronaldo too. Yeah, um, This is even more catastrophic than those because it's right in the, the heart of United's midfield and and uh, you know, it's fundamental to the way United should want to play and can't. The other one is Anthony, who I mentioned earlier, who I don't want to be down on because I think there are many more qualities to him than than uh, are raised by the critics, but they're all defensive qualities. Yeah. He works really hard. He covers his fullback. He, he's willing to, he shows the ball all of the time to a fault. He carries the ball really well. Like, those are good qualities. The rest of it's absolute garbage. Yeah. He is down in the bottom 20th percentile for all the attacking metrics. Yeah, it, it, he would... Not look out of place. His metrics would not look out of place at Luton. And this is, we come back to like how we fix our problems. It's 86 million pounds worth of problem there. And he, by the way, he wasn't any means the worst or the only bad player for United yesterday, but it's kind of symptomatic of so much of what United do. And he was just dreadful. And so actually was, and Garnacho on the other side, he had, he fluffed his one chance. Apart from that, he didn't really do anything in the game, did yeah. he? Rasmus Hoyland, I think he had the fewest touches again. It's like every game. Yeah. 
a few more than five that he had against Liverpool or whatever it was. But it's, it's desperate. It's yeah. desperate. I mean... And, 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 and the back, I can't even blame the back four too much, really. It's like thrown into an away game at West Ham. Cambuala did perfectly well, yeah, didn't he? Young kid. And, and you know, when he was 16, people had a lot of high hopes for him and he's had a lot of injuries and he's overcome those. So I think that might speak to his character as well. Yeah. That he's managed to force his way in. I know there are four centre-backs injured, but still, he's been trusted with that. And the rest of the back four did okay. Anana made no huge mistakes. United's problem is not there, really. It was further forward. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. I think, yeah, Camballa was a fantastic thing. I've said it again before I've said it again. With younger players, it's temperament all the time, and his temperament was absolutely first class. Um, they were... Played like a bit of a Rolls Royce, to be fair. He was so smooth on the ball. I thought he really um, grew into it in confidence. Yeah. Um, yeah. And his positioning was really good. Uh, he knew where, you know, he, like we've seen more experienced defenders struggle with that in, in this team. So to, to do everything that was asked of him and to do it very quietly without any fuss, I'd, I'd have no qualms keeping him in the first team setup. And I hope that he does. I hope that he's kept around because we need to see pathways for players like that and he's certainly one who's, who's earned another chance in regards to the other stuff like you said with Anthony there is systemic and it's also individuals because you look at that system it's all insular everything's inside the fullbacks are meant to come inside the wingers are meant to come inside everything's meant to be inside so how and United have so much of the ball so how how can they be so uncreative it's literally, it doesn't really make any sense because really they should have all the ball in all that area, all of the pieces and all of the numbers to to a certain extent seem to illustrate the fact that United are doing everything that they need to be doing. But you end up with a scenario where Menu is on the halfway line by himself giving the ball away and we've got nothing there to cover it. Or you're left with like Bruno coming back into... Um, into deep midfield and then there's a chasm in there of players trying to sort of I guess McTominay and, and Hoyland are trying to push the the defence, the last line of defence up and it's a really really weird scenario when you look at that United team and the things that they should be doing and all of the things that they're not doing based on the, the individual, like, let's say the perceived yeah. qualities of those players, because nobody is doing all of the thing, any of the things that they're supposed to be doing. Like Anthony, he said, oh, we, we know what he's supposed to do because we've seen enough of what his capabilities are and he doesn't do them. Now, what we did see from that attacking front line is Garnacho. He did play poorly, but he did a couple of the things that he's supposed to do, like, get to the byline, pull the ball back. He did that a couple of times, even if the ball was mm. poor, and he got into that position behind the defence where he's supposed to and get a shot away. You might not get more than one opportunity in, in a game for that. Like, with Liverpool, he had that one chance and Alexander-Arnold got there, and, and against West Ham, he had that one chance and he got... He in fact, he had two chances. He got one where he got his shot away with his left, I think, and then he had the one where, where he really should have scored with his right. And, he, you know, two chances at Premier League level on the break, you know what I mean? You should, you need to score one of those really. And, and all right. Yeah. I, I can, I can allow, or I can understand a, a teenager 
like we all remember Ronaldo frustrating when he was a teenager. They are going to make mistakes. They are going to make errors of judgment where they're second guessing themselves and, and things like that. So that's part of a process for Garnacho, like it is for Manu. The problem is that United have is that we need them to be playing like 23, 24 year olds. That's the burden that they're carrying at the moment, the weight of expectation, yeah, unfortunately. Fair. And that, and that's not only down, down sevens because Casemiro, when he was in, wasn't playing well. Garnacho's in on form a, a, in front of Rashford, who's 26 now and should be doing that all the time. So we're expecting that level of consistency and, and we can expect mistakes and we can expect errors in judgment, like things like that. But they, it does cost, it, and it cost us yesterday. It cost us like, I shouldn't be saying this because I, I don't, I've got more patience with them and I, and I want, them to have long careers at the club, but obviously the Manu and Garnacho things cost us yesterday in terms of the results. There's no we're getting away from it because we didn't yeah. win the game. It's a, too much responsibility. What I'm saying, really, ultimately, it's too much responsibility for those players to be carrying that burden when all the others, when all all the other senior players are in a position to better affect change and they're playing so poorly um, and not taking that responsibility. And we've seen again; it's just yeah. something that we've seen much too often. Um, and yeah, we can look at the manager, um, but I, I do, and I, and I do like I'm like I said earlier, I'm starting to question his decisions on on plan A's and plan B's with with an injury hit squad because we could still see better than what we are doing. Um, but there, there there are things like you said earlier, and, and I agree with it. Like United on in an injury crisis in particular, this United team aren't good enough to take. It easy with any opponent in the Premier League. So, and certainly not at West Ham. So, don't change what worked at Anfield. Do that double pivot. Go, go with that. Even if it means sacrificing an attacking player, do that for the control of the game. United's betterment of getting a result would be massively increased by that. And I, I do get the Tenorg idea is to be more adventurous and to be more dominant. I get that and I appreciate that. But it's not that you know, I don't have the quality to get away with that at the moment. So we should have. No, I know, I know that dominance, the uh, 65% possession, but the field tilt, tilt is pretty much even. So United had the ball in all the wrong areas yeah. anyway. Yeah. They weren't creating any pressure with all that possession. And in fact, you can say, and I think it's fair to say that West Ham have got inferior players with a better structure right now. Yeah. And it's, there's no doubt about how any of, West Ham's players are supposed to perform and they were quite happy for United to have the ball and then use their quick players up front and inventive players like Paqueta to cause problems. They just had Alvarez and Suchek sitting in front of the back four and their fullbacks in very traditional fullback format and it gave them a lot of, lot of defensive security. Part yeah. of the reason why United got three shots on target, none of them in the second half when we were chasing the game. So they are structured in a way that gives them what they want. It's part of the reason why David Moyes is not loved at West Ham. He should be. a sixth. They've won a European trophy. He should be loved. But uh, but it's this very, as we know, it's reactive football. It wasn't loved at United and wasn't successful. It's, it's in historical terms, pretty successful at West Ham. Um, and they all know what they're doing, and they executed it yesterday mm. in a way that United do not and did not. Uh, and, you know, some of that does lie on the coach. A lot of it lies on the players, but it is a muddle at the moment. 
And uh, I don't know how he can, like, we got two days until the next game against an informed Villa, albeit they were held to a draw this weekend. But so they are playing well. They're much more adventurous than we've seen an Unai Emery side be in the past. I think it's fair, yeah. at least some of them. And that's going to be a massive, massive test for United. And 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 it's it's like if I see that team sheet and it looks the same, I'm going to be really worried, really worried. And it, I don't think the answer is just in changing all the players, but again, accountability, the absolute lack of anything, any yeah. impetus at all in that second half. To it's just it was so desperately pathetic watching them just lie down and take it. Yeah, I so. I do share your wish, Christmas wish, in wanting to see something good on the team sheet. And I do think maybe the sensible decision would be to go um, a little bit more pragmatic with the midfield to try and get a bit of control because that's where Villa tend to have a lot of joy is in that area. And they've had a lot of joy against us in that area in the last few years, um, which is concerning. So I hope that Tenog has got his finger on the pulse with that one. But it does lead to a consequential conversation. I know some people are having it. Some people have been having it for a longer time. It's to do with the tactical discipline of having Bruno in the side. And again, Dan's point, what you said before, which you know, I remember listening to it when it was made and I'm thinking, yeah, the McTominay paradox, yeah, it's, it's a really good one. But you can say that for different players in the team and Bruno's another player. Who yeah, unfortunately sure. we, yeah. we can have that conversation with. And then the point is, are you a, a successful team who wins trophies on a regular basis doesn't have can't have any of those players in? Well, maybe it has one. It has one player in there because you can you have that argument backwards and forwards then and you say, well, the justification is that the goals win the trophies or something like that. But but a good team a good team can't have more than one of those players in because if you have two players like who are operating on this kind of spectrum then it's counterproductive to anything that you need to be doing to a team when when they're not playing when they don't have the qualities to do what the team wants to be doing particularly when both of them are midfielders and the other one or or in that three midfield and the other one we've praised so much we know how we know then main was doing the work of three we know how much work he's doing considering the the criticism that we're giving to the other two. And this is my thing, is that the, at that level, with teams like Villa, who, let, let's be straight about this, their chances of, of success against United are proven by their tactical discipline. Really, that's how they affect their, their good results over us. They've come through tactical discipline, waiting for United to make their own mistakes and and just the same way that West Ham win uh, won the other day, a team can look at United and say, "All right, well, they can defeat themselves. Really, they'll make a mistake themselves eventually. If we 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 don't even have to wear them down, they'll present an opening to us because they don't have the discipline. And all we need to do is show discipline because they also don't have the creativity or, or the movement. They don't don't have the intelligence of movement, the selflessness of movement to drag players out of position." because they just don't have it for whatever reason. So all they have to do is have patience and discipline. And this Villa team are brilliant at that. They are brilliant at that. So if we don't have a pragmatic midfield, they will do all that selfless running. 
and they will make Hale or Trafford, and I'm not talking like they'll win the game. They'll win that game as comfortably as Bournemouth won it because they've got that that pragmatism, they've got that discipline, and that, as we've seen, unfortunately, that's the key ingredient to beating this United team at the moment. And if the penny's not dropping for these players, because that is where the, the manager loses accountability because he can only send that 11 onto the pitch and hope that they show that accountability. They show that selflessness. Now you <coughs> mentioned with the Fernandez thing. All right. We know, we know that a player of his many capabilities shouldn't be tasked with doing that. But at any given game, at any, at any given time, at any given game, a player should be asked to, will be asked to do something that they're uncomfortable with doing. And Fernandez, even if he's asked to be the lone front man, if he's placed in that situation, he should be making that run to cover that player, and he wasn't, and we've ended up losing a goal from it. So, yeah, we, we're always going to be faced with that in every single game of football. And the problem is that United have got too many players who abandon that responsibility. But, uh, it doesn't necessarily translate on the stat sheet as a loss of accountability because it's a different, difficult thing to track as a mistake, but you can know it when you see it. And we know it when we saw it on Saturday. And you'll know it when you see the yeah. difference in an Aston Villa side. And you'll see that on Boxing Day. And that is what United have to be aware of. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I, I hope that they are, but it's not something that you can take for granted. No. We, we may have Rafa Varane back. He was suffering with illness for this one. So I assume he'll come back into the side. Uh, as we saw with Liverpool, he's, he is still a good defender. For all the talk about build-up, there isn't the rest of the structure in the side. You can't do good build-up with Scott McTominay in the side, right? So the paradox in thinking, I don't understand. Anyway, he may come back into the side. I would like to see Amrabat come into the side, not because I think he's a good player. I don't think he is particularly, but he takes some of the workload off of Kobe Mainu. I think it makes for a more sensible midfield pairing. Also allows you to push Bruno further up the pitch and be closer to Rasmus Hoyland. And I think you'll find he, he will benefit a lot from that. That to me just makes much more sense as a structure for the team. I, I totally agree. Like Luis and John McGinn, very, very disciplined in midfield and they've got a lot of very quick players. Yep. Quick, inventive players up front who will cause United a lot of problems. And if, if we uh, employ the donut midfield again, they're just gonna, they're just gonna run through it. It's, and it doesn't matter whether it's Varane or Evans or Camboala or not Lindelof and Maguire because they're not going to be fit. But yeah, whoever it is, they'd be under pressure. Yeah. And we've seen that so many times this season. So I, I fear for United in this one at this moment. I would like to see us. It, it's not even more pragmatic. It's just a better structure for the midfield to bring Amrabat in. Yeah. So I'd like to see that. Might not happen. <laughs> it's Scott McTominay has started 97 games in a row. It's not that many, but it feels like it. <laughs> and it's not like I have some agenda against him. I just, it's just not, it's just not good enough. It's just, yeah, he causes United so many problems. Yeah. Scotland's player of the year, which he well earned, by the way. He didn't quite earn his manager's player of the year award from a couple of years back, but different story. And and then, then there's a question up front, like, do we persist with Rasmus? I think most of the problem is not of his making. Yeah, someone put a video out, can't remember who now, sorry, with like loads of clips of him making curved runs and people ignoring him, which feels like the pattern of his season. He does, he is, Ten Hag praised him actually, said he's 
it deals well with the stress deals well with the pressure and you know i think there's a lot to admire in his game if he's getting 10 or 15 touches a game he's not going to do anything with it yeah and he perhaps doesn't have the composure yet as we saw with that chance he had against liverpool to to finish off that one very tight opportunity yeah, no, no, should we expect that from him at this moment? So, well, as I said, no, should you say it'd be a pleasant addition if it was there, but you can understand why it's not there um, for any season striker if they're only getting that amount of chances in the game, but especially one who's coming to a team that's struggling to create in the way that we are. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one because. It's now, I didn't have any concerns, but you know, like people are saying, oh, he hadn't scored a Premier League goal, blah, blah, blah. And I wasn't that bothered because I think five goals in the Champions League is a pretty good response to that. But then the last couple of games, I, I feel like it, it looks like it's getting on him a little bit, but I don't know what you do with that because I mean, Rashford's, Rashford and Martial are the answer. And I, I really, I think there are bigger picture things to to be thinking about United. This is a complicated one for for the manager because I think it's the wrong message to have Martial in the in the match day squad. But then Rashford as a number two to you know he, he comes in for Garnacho or for for Hoyland when all oh, the big thing last season was he doesn't like playing at centre forward. But we we I think Hoyland needs a little bit probably a couple of games from the bench just to sort of alleviate it from him. Rashford took, should take yeah. that responsibility, really. He, he should do it. It shouldn't be Martial. I, I agree with you. He he doesn't want to be at the club. The club doesn't want him at the club. He doesn't move. He's like half the pace he used to be. It's terrible having him in the team for all the reasons. Uh, yeah. And yeah, that would send a very odd message. This young player you're trying to support and the player you desperately want to get out and have been desperate to get out for several years now uh, is in the team ahead of you. So I, I don't think that's the answer. It may, may well be Marcus just has to, he's got to find himself some form, you know? Yeah. Well, that's, I'm I not mean, sure this is the game for it, but yeah. Well, no, it is. It has to be there. All of the players have to do that, right? It's not just him. But it's, it's every single player. They, there can be no one apart from Menu and Campoala because he's, there's no, nothing on him. There's not one player in that squad that can say that they're playing in a Manchester United side, uh, that they deserve to be played in a Manchester United side. Uh, certainly not one that's worthy of winning trophies. Um, so every single one of them has that responsibility to do that. And it, it is, there are certain players like Hoyland that we can talk about and we say, oh, well, we understand the pressure that, that he's dealing with and we want him to sort of be alleviated some of that. But that pressure is put on him because Rashford hasn't been playing well for, for a long period of time and or Rashford isn't doing the things to help Hoyland or none of the players are doing enough to help Hoyland because a, a team is 11 players playing for each other and you're not seeing that with United. And in the past, you might have got all these players coming out and making these statements like, oh, we go again, blah, blah, blah. And you're not seeing that. The First of all, because a lot of supporters have grown sick of it but even I think the players now there's no hiding place and it's something that we've been saying for a little while there's only so long you can have credit in the bank with saying things like we go again and that because at some point you have to accept the, the fact that you've not been good enough to win major trophies at United and it's not to do with managers it's to do with the players looking themselves in the mirror and now we look at this period of time 
which is from now until the end of the season, where it doesn't really matter if we, in my mind, it, it doesn't really matter if we qualify for the Champions League or not, because it means nothing in terms of what we know or don't know about these players. Most of them we know, we know the answer in, with regards to their long-term future at the club. But it is on these players now. They don't have a hiding place. So when we talk about their responsibility to come in and, and do a performance, yes, they do. Maybe not Hoyland. We said take him out and give him a breather. But then that's Rashford's responsibility to come in and score a hat-trick or do something, to do something that says, no, do you know what? I am the main man. I'm, I'm worth this 300 grand a week or something. I'm worth the next three years of my career at this club because that's what these are all, these players are all fighting for now. It's something much bigger than one year's qualification and ultimate disappointment in the Champions League. It's their career at the club. And if they don't take that now, this is why there is faith that should be placed in the manager because if you allow him the power to oversee that that period, then you see what the players are or are not made of. Um, and this is where we are, which is, I mean, it's not a good thing seeing a struggle, Ed. I, I hate it. It's very, very disappointing seeing results like what we saw yesterday and performance, performance more, more than the result, obviously. But we're seeing too many of both. And we are at that critical moment, at least, where now we should see some kind of progress. If that is like, for example, putting Kambuala in because he's played well and it means that Varane can't get in even though he's ready and he's fit because Kambuala's playing well or Hoyland starts scoring in a purple patch and Rashford can't get in because he, you know, he's not good. He's just not good enough on form. Then these are the things that we want to see. We want to see Menu be so good that Casemiro can't get back in. All these kind of things that are green shoots of progress towards the future of the club, rather than a player who's struggling so badly that another underperforming player comes in and just struggles until the period comes that we yeah. give another player a chance to struggle. Because that, that cycle has been the one that's gone on, that's brought us to where we are, unfortunately. All right. That's it. Before we go, you can support us by going to patreon.com forward slash NQATpod if you want to get the extra show each week and the merch and stuff like that. We have a YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash at. No question about that. I really had the wrong handle there, didn't I? But anyway, just search for us there. We dump these on YouTube now. Wayne is at Wayne S. Barton on X. Yeah. Formerly Twitter. I'm at United Ranch. You can find Dan and Tom there too. Many thanks for listening to us moan about this team. Maybe there's a bit of hope ahead. Let's hope so. Bye now.